A quick search of the internet will simply confirm what we've already known, and that's the fact that 2020 was a lonely year. All right? You guys know it all too well. One study reports that 20 to 34% of Americans felt lonelier this past year due to COVID-19. This same study goes on to say that nearly 60% of Americans reported regularly feeling lonely. Uh, And another survey focusing on young adults found that 65% of those surveyed felt greater loneliness in the past year and 80% were dealing with increased depression. However, it's not only the young that have been having this problem either. In in yet another study, we find that um, in older adults, loneliness more than doubled in the last year. And so loneliness is it's not the only issue that ties to COVID, right, from, from this last year. Uh, there's also fear tied to it. We just think about the, the year in review. We see that there's fear of getting sick. There's, there's fear for one's own life. There's fear for the lives of our friends and family. Uh, there's fear of the unknown because we simply don't know that much, or that's what we keep hearing. We think we've learned something, but we just keep not knowing And so there's fear of the unknown. And add to that fear and the loneliness, actual illness. And hopefully you can see how COVID has caused additional grief in many lives in the last year. Now, consider the normal issues in any given year, right? Issues like illness, death of a family member or friend, difficulties with your job, maybe the loss of your job, Problems at home, problems with the family, domestic abuse or abandonment, persecution. A list like this makes it real easy to be pretty down on life, right? Well, it's it's easy to feel isolated and alone in difficult times, and sometimes we are alone during those difficult times. As If you've ever been quarantined, you know. Well, the Apostle Paul felt this, and, and we only need to look at 2 Timothy 4, and we see this where he said, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Well, as we, we look and we reflect and we think back on the year and loneliness and illness and, and fear and difficulties that we faced, I want to remind you of a story. It's a story from history. It's a story of hope. It's a story of adoption that destroys loneliness. It's a story of salvation. It's the story of a glorious God. And it's all true. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In His creation, God created mankind in Adam and Eve. God created man and that man might commune with Him, that man rebels against God, we see in Genesis 3, right? So despite man's rebellion, God shows kindness and long-suffering to him by not punishing him immediately. The communion is broken, but it's not broken and severed forever. For God reaches out and he blesses one of these rebellious men, a man named Abraham. He promises to make a great nation out of him. He blesses him that he might be a blessing to the nations around him. The family of Abraham becomes the representatives of God on the earth. It says the story progresses, God's people are captive to a tyrant in Egypt. But they're delivered by the wondrous works of a glorious God. 
They're taken to Mount Sinai where God delivers his law and he declares to Israel uh, that Israel, the descendants of Abraham, would be his people. And at the giving of God's law, the sound of a loud trumpet fills the air. So God declares that he will dwell among his people. God gives his people instructions on how to build the tabernacle, the, the place in which God will dwell amidst his people. And upon completion, God's glory fills the tabernacle, and he dwells with his people there, among his people. So after God provides the, the promised land for his people, he also provides for them a king in the person of a simple shepherd boy, David. Through the prophet Nathan, God promises the shepherd become king that his line will rule forever. And so Solomon, the son of a shepherd king, takes his father's place as the shepherd to God's people. Solomon builds a stone temple to replace the tent tabernacle of the wilderness journey. God calls Solomon and the people of Israel to obey his rules, his law, and he gives his word that he will dwell among his people. So when the construction of the stone temple is done, God's glory fills the temple. Yet God's people do not obey his rules. They, they choose to follow their father, Adam, in his rebellion. But however, God, in God's righteous punishment, does not immediately fall upon these rebels. His mercy, graciousness, and slowness to anger are put on display, or even, even here in the Old Testament. His steadfast love and faithfulness are, are evident as he corrects and disciplines his people. In acts of kindness, God sends prophets to proclaim His word to the people, and they needed to obey it. They need to obey it. One of these prophets is a man named Isaiah, and Isaiah speaks of his the words of his mouth being as a sword. Isaiah and other prophets like him speak God's word of discipline to God's people. As God's people continue to rebel, they seek after other gods, idols that are not really gods at all. Right. God calls Israel to test these false gods and see. They do not know the future. They were not there at the beginning. But God reveals himself here in the book of Isaiah as the first and the last. He was there in the beginning. He does know the future. And not only does he know it, he directs it. So as God's people continue to rebel, he disciplines them by sending them into captivity in Babylon and so slave to their own sin, God's people are in bondage, much like they were in Egypt. And it's at this time that God gives a vision to a Levite named Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, a captive in Babylon, sees the glory of God in an incredible vision. So at the center of this vision is one who has the likeness of a man. And he's seated on the throne. And his throne is carried by four living creatures whose wings sound like the roaring of many waters. Some years later, after God's prophet, uh, another of God's prophet, a man named Daniel, is given a vision while he too lives in exile from the promised land. So in Daniel's vision, he sees God, the ancient of days, with hair white as pure wool, seated on a throne. Daniel also sees one like a son of man coming before the ancient of days, who is given authority over all things, so that all peoples... Nations and languages should serve him. The Son of Man is a king, and he has a kingdom. 
So the prophet Daniel continues to see in a vision uh, a man who wears a robe with a golden sash, whose eyes are like flaming torches, whose feet are like burnished bronze, whose face shines like lightning. After Israel's time in captivity, God returns them to the promised land. He provides leadership and direction for them. And so to the prophet Zechariah, he gives a vision of a lampstand with a tree on either side. Faithful Israel is to be a light to the nations as she guides them and is guided by two leaders, one a prophet and another a king. So even now, God is long-suffering. God is showing restraint and not justly putting his people to death for their disobedience as they continue to rebel. And in the midst of rebellion, God's love is put on display. For in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord, is born in a manger. So this baby, who is to be called Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the Savior of his people, grows and begins to teach. As he calls his people to, uh, the people of God to repent for their rebellion, and uh, as, he, as he calls them to repent of the rebellion for the kingdom of God is at hand, in one of his most famous sermons, or maybe it's a collection of sermons, he calls God's people to be a light, to shine the glory of God to the peoples of the earth as, as a lampstand and a lamp wood uh, in a house. And so God's people still continue to rebel against God, even going so far as to kill Jesus crucifying him on a cross. And yet, what men intend for evil, God meant for good. Jesus' death was not just any death. It was a sacrifice, right? Jesus was the sacrificial lamb of God, pointed to by the prophets Isaiah and John the Baptist. The grave could not hold him. Three days after his death, Jesus rises to life, conquering death, having fully paid the penalty of the sins of his people. So God's plan of forbearance is is brought to fruition. God has passed over these former sins, seeing that their payment would be made in full in the death of Christ. And so God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God has done what man cannot. Communion with God is restored through the work of Jesus. Men cannot restore his relationship with God. Only by faith in the person and work of Christ can one be made right, right with God. Now, why do I, why do I tell you this, this long, familiar story this morning? What's, what's the point? Well, as we finish up our Advent series this morning, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1. So I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 1 verses 9 through 20, and let's just see if we can make some connections with what we just heard and what we'll read here in Revelation chapter 1. So if you would stand with me, if you're able, uh, in honor of God and the reading of His Word this morning, we'll be looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, And the patient endurance that is in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. 
And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roaring of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full length, uh, full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for not leaving us in the dark, but revealing yourself to us, revealing your word to us, Father, that we might know you, not as we think of you, but as you have you, in fact, are as you've revealed yourself to us. And so, Father, may we think this morning on the person of Christ. May we think about what we see here in the book of Revelation and how what we celebrate in the time of Christmas, Lord, ties back to what is to come in all of, all of eternity. That we see that we celebrate not just a babe born in a manger. We celebrate a king who reigns forever. We celebrate a priest who mediates between you and his people. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for coming and, and, and being obedient to the Father, even obedient unto death, a death on a cross, that we might have communion with you, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. Not because of things we've done, but because of what you've done. And so this morning, Father, open our eyes to see Jesus as he's revealed to us in this passage this morning. Uh, Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we conclude our Advent series this morning, in this passage we learn at least two things, two things about Jesus whom God has sent to intercede for us. And those are, first, that Jesus is God, and second, that Jesus is among us. So Jesus is God, and Jesus is among us. There are three ways in which we see that Jesus is God from this morning's passage, and and uh, we're going to be skipping around in here quite a bit, so I just encourage you to, to read that passage several times, reread it. But, but three ways we see Jesus as God here this morning, the first one being the descriptions that are used of the Son of Man here in Revelation 1 and the fact that they are descriptions of God the Father in the Old Testament. We, we need to be mindful that if we want to understand what's going on in the book of Revelation, it's so very important that we understand the Old Testament. For the language of the Revelation is the language of the Old Testament. And I hope you see that just by that quick summary of what's gone on in, in history from creation until uh, uh, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, that much of the language we just read came from the passages that 
I referenced as we were going through that short uh, retelling of history. And so as we look here, let's think about this. Uh, when we look at these descriptions, what's going on here in the book of Revelation is, is John has had a vision. He's on the Isle of Patmos, which is, which is out just uh, west of uh, modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor in biblical times, maybe 30 miles off the coast there. Oftentimes, uh, the, the Roman uh, government would send people who are dissidents out to islands uh, if they were causing problems, and apparently they felt like John was causing a problem. They sent him out to the island. The Isle of Patmos was, he would not have been the only one on it. Uh, it seems to have been a penal colony where people went and worked in a stone quarry. Whether that's what John did or not, we don't know, but it's probably a safe assumption that he was, uh, getting to work on some masonry skills while he was there. Um, and, and yet he's there and he has this grand vision. And so this is much like the vision that Ezekiel has of God. And so when we look at these, these descriptive elements, we want to be careful not to, to, to dissect it so much that we're looking at all the minutia and we don't see the big picture. And the big picture is the Son of Man walking among the lampstands is awe-inspiring with eyes that are like fire, feet that are like burnished bronze, right? He's wearing this priestly robe with a golden sash on it. We're to be in, in awe of the Son. That's the intent. Much like in Ezekiel, when we see the, the description of uh, the, the glory of God in Ezekiel chapter one were to be in, in awe of who God is. And so let's, let's be car- careful not to dissect it so much that we miss the awe here. Uh, and, and yet I think it is important that we do look at some of these in a little bit of detail. And so if you would allow me just to, to look at a few of these, uh, first off, I want to look at the sound of the trumpets. We look here, uh, and, and he said, or the sound of the trumpet, he said he was on the Isle of Patmos. He was in the Spirit. In verse 10, he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Well, if we think back to the book of Exodus in Exodus 19, when the giving of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, in chapter 19, verse 16, we read, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. If we skip on to 19, And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Do you see the picture here in Exodus? What's going on at the, the, the Mount Sinai? Like, if you're not careful, you kind of get into the, the Ten Commandments, um, you know, the old fifties movie or whatever and kind of thinking about it this way or not. But just, do you realize that God spoke to the people of Israel? It was like thunder. In fact, the people of Israel are so afraid of it, they eventually go to Moses and say, Moses, why don't you go talk to God? We, we don't want to, we don't want to hear anymore. Um, and so the idea is that here's God speaking to his people. He's giving them his law and it's heralded by this loud trumpet. And what happens here in the book of Revelation? Who's going to come and speak to John? Well, it's the Son of Man. And so we, we see here, we see the Son of Man as he, he comes to speak the voices like that of a trumpet. And just as the trumpet announced the call of, or the, the, the voice of God speaking to the people here in the book of Revelation, we see the trumpet acknowledging the fact that the voice of God is going to speak to John. The voice of God comes in the person of one who's like the Son of Man or Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's not accidental language. That's, that's alluding back to what's going on in the Mount Sinai. Uh, another thing we might look at is the description of Jesus' hair. 
right? As we look at these things, and, and even as we look back in Ezekiel 1, if, if you ever study it, um, it's really important for us not to assume that he's trying to tell us what Jesus looks like. This is not a description of what Jesus looks like. This is a description of who Jesus is. There's a, there's a difference there, right? And so when we think about the, the white hair there, we're thinking about the wisdom and the purity of who he is. And that's exactly what's going on in the book of Daniel, where this is coming from, right? If you flip back over to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, he says, And I looked, and thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothes, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. And so the, the picture of what's going on there in Daniel is not telling us that Jesus, uh, that God has, the Ancient of Days has white hair. But it's, it's a picture of who he is and the purity of the Ancient of Days. And so when we look at that and, and you're reading the book of Revelation and, and your primary source of information about God and, and his revelation to people is the Old Testament because the New Testament is not written the time of John here, you know, at least not readily available in many parts. And, and so at that point, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. The Ancient of Days had white hair like wool. The Son of Man in the vision given to John has white hair like pure wool. There's a, there's a connection there that the Son of Man is in fact God. Or, or think about his voice. His, his voice is described, uh, so there's the, the sound of a trumpet, the voices sound like a trumpet. Uh, but we also look in verse should have 15, where it says, and his voice was like the roaring of many waters. Well, that description comes in several places in the Old Testament, but one specifically was in the book of Ezekiel, right? As we were going through there and we were talking about Ezekiel's vision of God. And as Ezekiel has this vision of God and the glory of God, what does he see? Well, he, he sees this, this, it's like the throne of God and it's, it's a crazy picture. You go read it. And part of the issue is that there's a throne and the throne's carried by four living creatures and they've got these wings and, and, uh, uh, the wheels and, and all kinds of stuff going on. But the sound of their wings were told in Ezekiel 124. And I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters. And so when, here's, here he's talking about Jesus' voice. Jesus' voice is like the sound of many waters. Now he's not saying Jesus' voice sounds like the wings of the living creatures because if you continue on in Ezekiel 124, this is what the sound of many waters is like like the sound of the Almighty. And so the sound of the many waters that the wings of the uh, the living creatures that, that are carrying this throne, um, the sound that they make is like the sound of the Almighty. It's like the sound of God. And here's Jesus speaking with a voice that's like many waters. Jesus' voice is like that of God. Uh, a second way we see Jesus acknowledged as God here, and, and this is just kind of a, a quick passing one I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on, uh, but it's, it's worse than thought, is his authority. So we look at the description of Jesus and the fact that he's described using words that are like God. He's also described with, with words through there that are uh, perhaps an angel from Daniel 10. It depends on how you want to read Daniel 10, whether it's an angel or, or the Son of Man. 
Um, and so, it, so there's different different imagery coming from the Old Testament there, but but definitely those those few that we looked at are, are used to describe God, and they seem to be indicating that Jesus is in fact God. But another way is His authority, and if we note this, that Jesus is is speaking to the uh, to John, and uh, he's he tells him in verse eighteen. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I just want to make the statement that only God controls death and the sphere of death. No one else does that. And for the Son of Man to have that ability is in fact to be God. Now you could we could flesh that out more and spend a little more time there, but I want to I want to move on from there if you don't mind. A third way in which we see Jesus acknowledged as God here in this passage is by the names that he uses. And so let's just flip back here and read again, uh, starting with, we'll start at verse 12. And so John has just, just been, he's heard the voice of the trumpet. He's getting ready to send the letters to the seven churches. So in, vo- in verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, this is where we're going to be at verse 17, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Now, that's a reference to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 41, or in Isaiah 44, in a couple of places you find this, but in Isaiah 41.4, we read, Who has performed and done this, calls the generation, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. God the Father is the first and the last. And, and in Isaiah 44, where God is more specifically saying, you compare me to these false gods, these idols that you're making. In Isaiah 44, he says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. And so here, the prophet Isaiah is saying, this is this is what the word of, this is what God told me and what God said was he can tell the future right nobody else can do that he he declared it from a, of old he is the first and he is the last he was there when creation was was beginning he was there before creation he's going to be there at the end of all things that's God the father well here in the book of revelation we see that very same name applied to the son right the, the, the one who's like the, the, the son of man says, fear not, I am the first and I am the last. So often you hear people make the claim that in the Bible, you know, Jesus never claims to be God. 
Well, Jesus does claim to be God in many places. He just doesn't say it in the words we want him to use. But he says it very clearly. There's no mistaking here for, for a first century uh, person who understands the Old Testament always like, well, I know who the first and last is. The first and last is God. There is no other. And for the Son, the one like the Son of Man, to say that I am the first and the last is to say that I am God. There is no other. Another another name we could look at, and uh, and it's not not used specifically here, but but if you follow through the Book of Revelation, and and we'll just look at this real quickly because we need to move on. But uh, is the idea of the Alpha and Omega, and the only reason I bring this up is because it ties back to the idea of first and last, right? Uh, we're talking about the Alpha and Omega. We're talking about the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet, uh, and we find that used of the Father in Revelation one eight, just prior to where we started reading. In the book of Revelation, God the Father speaks twice. He speaks in Revelation 1, he speaks at the end of the book, and he has this to say in Revelation 1. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Oops. Uh, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Three very important titles of God. And we're not preaching on Revelation 1-8 this morning, so you can go and, and do some reading on those and think about those. But I just want you to see that God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And just quickly after that, in one seventeen, Jesus says, I'm the first and the last. And if you go on to Revelation 21, at the end of the book, where the Father says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Well, if you go just a little bit past that to Revelation 22-13, Jesus, the Son, says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is no doubt in the book of Revelation that Jesus is God. The Son is God. And so as we think about this in the book of Revelation, the fact that here he is, he's amidst, he's amongst the, the lampstands, and he's described as God. He's given the authority of God, and he uses the names of God. There's no way in which we can draw a conclusion other than to say Revelation 1 says that Jesus is God, but it also says that he's among us. This is, this is what I want us to think about. And in difficult years, like this year's been difficult for some of us. Some years are worse. Sure, I mean, 2020 is not the worst year in the history. But in hard years, we can look and we can know that God is among us. We're told in Revelation 1.13 that Jesus, the one like a son of man, is walking amongst the lampstands. And later in the passage, Jesus gives us the key to understanding the lampstands in case we missed it, right? You get to the end there and he says, hey, if you didn't catch it, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So in case we missed it, that's just clarified for us. So the lampstands are the churches. So while the lampstand in the tabernacle or in the temple, it, it was one lamp with seven branches on it. Here in the book of Revelation, what we see is seven lamps with, with one, or seven stands with one lamp on them. So in Zechariah, we see that the faithful people of God are likened unto a, a, a lampstand. So Zechariah 4 says this specifically. It says, And the angel who talked to me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it and seven lips on each of the lamps and they are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And 
There's a lot of description and discussion that can go into what's going on in Zechariah there, but uh, it's an indication of the faithful Israel shining the light of God, and, and they're led by this prophet and this priest that, that help them to, to be obedient to the Lord. And, and then we see later on in the book of Matthew in the teachings of Jesus, he uses the same kind of vocabulary of lamps, right, and the people of God. And so in 5, Matthew five fourteen through 16, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So we see in Zechariah that the faithful people are God of God are like a lampstand. They serve a purpose, and that purpose is to shine the light of God to the nations around them. We also see in Matthew that Jesus calls the people of God to shine, not to hide their lights. Well, why do they do that? Well, they do it to bring glory to the Father. So when the people of God do not shine their light, but rather hide it, they're robbing God of His rightful glory. So don't miss the main point here, that Jesus is amidst the lampstands. And so as He's called us to shine light for His glory, He hasn't left us on our own. There's a, a, a great quote from a, a theologian that says this, It is in the utmost importance of John's theology that the first statement he makes about the heavenly Christ is that he saw Him among the lamps. He's not absentee. He's no absentee who has withdrawn from earth at his ascension to return only at his parousia, meanwhile exercising his authority over the church by remote control through their heavenly representatives, his, his heavenly representatives, the angels. That's not the case at all. He's not some absentee God who's not there, but no, he's right there and he's in the midst of them. And if we think about the picture of his garb, he's, he's in the long robes and he has the golden sash there. And so the, the sash is kind of a kingly sash, but the, the pictures of these priestly robes. And he's amongst the, the lampstands. Well, the lamp in the Old Testament in the tabernacle in the temple would, would have been taken care of by the priest. They would have trimmed the, uh, how oil lamps work and there's a wick involved or not. But however you keep an oil lamp going, they would have kept the oil lamp going, right? That, that was the whole point. And so here's the picture of Jesus walking among the lampstands, caring for the lampstands as, the, as a priest and as a king there. And so you think about this picture of him as one like the Son of Man, who in the book of Daniel is given authority over all of dominion, right? So he's a kingly person. And so here's this kingly priest that's among his people. And so when we face difficulties this year, we have a kingly priest right here with us. You're not alone. There's no reason for us to, to be concerned with loneliness because we, we're not left to ourselves. We have a, a God who's here with us. And so Jesus uh, is, is much like God in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God is going to dwell in the midst of His people right in the tabernacle. And God's going to dwell in the midst of His people in the, in the temple. And in the New Testament time, God is dwelling in the midst of His people even now. Have you ever found yourself thinking, man, it would have been kind of nice to be in the Old Testament where, you know, God had a house that he lived in and, and we could kind of see him and, and visualize that. It, one, it would have been not such a good thing. Um, and, but two, we, we have that, right? And God is indwelling his believers in the, in the Holy Spirit. He's, 
He's working in us, and, and Jesus is amongst us. He's walking through the lampstands, caring for them. And so that's the picture. As John's writing a letter to these churches, he's writing them to say, in the difficulties you're facing and what's going to be written in the next several chapters of the book of Revelation, you remember that God is there with you, that Jesus is amongst you. He's in amongst the lampstands. And, and not only that, Jesus told us as much, right, in Matthew 28. We like to talk about this passage in, in the, the, the missiological kind of impact of it, but really in the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's because God in the second person of the Trinity dwells with His people that we can confidently shine forth our light for the glory of God. It's because God reigns as King of kings that we can shine a light to all the people's nations and languages as we saw in Daniel 7 verse 14 and repeated over and over again in the book of Revelation, right? Chapter 5, 7, 10, 11, 13. So this leads me to just two concluding thoughts here as we finish up. One, as we think about the advent of Christ, His coming, His being here, the fact that He is God and He dwells among us, the first conclusion is we have no need to fear. Those that belong to Jesus are never alone. In your hardest times, Jesus is there. You don't have to worry about being alone in illness, in death of a family member, in difficulties on the job, in the loss of your job, family problems, domestic abuse, abandonment, persecution. Jesus is there with you. Jesus is there in the midst of His people tending to them as a priest would tend to the lampstands. And just as Jesus is encouraging the first century church through the writing of the book of Revelation so too we can be encouraged by what's written in the book of Revelation. The difficulties that the first century church, church faced, they didn't face them alone. And the difficulties you as a believer faced this year, you did not face alone. Jesus was there, walking among the lampstands, tending to His church. And the difficulties you'll face in the coming years, you will not face alone if you're Faith is in Christ Jesus alone. We serve a great and glorious God. May He be praised. He does not leave us to our own devices. He doesn't leave us in the midst of our sins. And so that leads me to a second concluding thought, and that is that we ought to let our light shine for the glory of God. Or maybe more specifically, let God's light shine for His glory through us. So we need not fear, for Jesus dwells among us. We need not fear, for God is with us. So let your light shine to those who are around you. Live for the glory of God in tumultuous times. Jesus called the churches of Revelation to live this way, and He calls us to live this way today. So speak the good news. Proclaim the gospel. Pandemic or not, suffering or not, Jesus is there with you. For the one who holds the keys of death and Hades is with us. Jesus is God. Jesus is with us. Jesus 
is Emmanuel. May he be praised and glorified as his light shines through us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we give you glory and honor and praise. You alone are worthy of that. Father, may we not give your glory to another. Thank you that you are merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and that you forbore the sins of many till the time of Christ that they might be paid for, and that Jesus, you would die for the sins of someone like me, and God, that you would forgive me because of his work, that his righteousness is given to me and my sin is given to him. Father, you are glorified for that because we can't understand that completely, and yet you are so gracious in providing a substitutionary sacrifice in Christ. And Jesus, you are so wonderful for willingly doing that and being sent and carrying out and being obedient to all that the Father has called you to. We praise you and we give you glory. And so, Father, may we understand that Jesus is in fact God, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man, holy God, holy man, and that He's with us. And so, Jesus, may we go and shine forth Your light for the glory of the Father as You've called us to here on earth. And so when we look forward to the future and we think about the past, may we understand You were with us then, You will be with us, You're with us now, and You will be with us in the future. And so we can go and proclaim boldly what You've called us to proclaim, the good news of Jesus Christ and the fact that salvation comes through Him and Him alone. Right relationship with You, Father, comes only through the work of Jesus So may we say that, may we teach that, may we proclaim that, may we live that for your glory, for your honor. May our light shine. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.